Um, so for the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about mislabels and how dangerous they can be and how tragic the results can be when we believe wrong things about who we are. When we accept and believe mislabels, it's almost like we stick them on like these stickers and they say, I'm ugly or I'm insignificant or I'm alone. And we see the damage that's done when we believe that instead of looking at God's word that tells us that we're masterpieces. It tells us that we're called by God. It tells us that we're part of something beautiful. And when we accept and we believe these mislabels, it not only takes away from the rich, satisfying, abundant life that Jesus wants us to live, it not only makes us sad and lonely and unfulfilled, it can actually prevent us from doing what God has designed us to do. It can actually prevent us from doing the things that God has called us to do. So today we're gonna to look at a particular mislabel that I've seen a lot of Christians wear around and maybe, maybe you know somebody that's worn it or maybe you've worn it yourself and it says, hello, my name is Defeated. Hi, <laughs> I'm Defeated, right? That, that's, that's who I am. And I think a lot of us have come to see ourselves that way because of a lot of different reasons, right? Maybe it's because of something that someone said to you that's made you feel like that's who you are, that you're defeated. Um, a couple of months ago, uh, two of my grandkids were out in the backyard back here playing, and Waylon at that time was five and Ophelia was three, and so they were gonna have a race, right? And they're gonna race on the sidewalk out here, and I'm at the end, you know, to give the high five to the first person across the line, right? So, I mean, Waylon's five, Ophelia's three, who won? Duh, right? He's two years, he's almost twice as old as her. So obviously he wins the race, he comes through, and as he races across the finish line, he slaps my hand and he says, I'm the winner, right? And then a couple of minutes later, here comes Ophelia, right? Chunk, 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 here she comes, and she slaps my hand and she says, I'm the winner too. <laughs> and Waylon said, no, 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 no. He like calls her over and he's gonna, you know, tell her how it is. And he goes, see, the person that comes in first, we call the winner. And the person that comes in last, we call the loser. So, see, I'm the winner and you're the loser. And maybe that's where some of us have gotten this defeated name tag, right? Because for a lot of us, our whole lives, people have told us, you're, that's who you are, man. You're defeated. Maybe you heard that from your parents. Or maybe you heard it from a coach or maybe you heard it from a boss or a friend at work or a friend at school or a spouse. You're, that's who you are. You're, you lost. You're, you're, you lost. Then what does that mean? You're a loser. You're, you're defeated. Or maybe your defeated label didn't come from words from somebody else. Maybe it came from your own just experience where you just said, I mean, I am, I'm defeated. I, I tried and I failed. So what does that make me, right? I'm, I'm defeated, I got beat, I got beat by my addiction to whatever, to drugs or to porn or, or I, got, I got defeated by temptation 
and sin, or I, I just can't win the battle. I'm, I'm, I'm losing my battle with my health, or my finances, or my failing relationships, or my bad grades. I'm, I'm, that's who I am. I'm, I'm defeated. I think some people feel like they're like automatically defeated, and it's not because of your history, it's because of your family history. So it's like, you know, our whole team lost. My mom was defeated by alcohol, so I guess that's me, right? I, my dad was addicted to porn, so I guess I will be too. I'm on, I'm on the losing team, right? I'm, I'm defeated. My whole family's divorced. Everybody in my family gets divorced. That's what we do. So there's no reason to think that I won't lose that battle too. I'm, you know, I'm defeated before I even start because of my family background. Or maybe you feel defeated because of an abuse that you suffered that you just can't get past, or a rejection, or an abandonment that you just can't seem to overcome, and it's got you feeling defeated. Or maybe you feel defeated by literal enemies, right, by, by bullies that just constantly attack you and, and strip away everything good from your life until you're just left broken and hiding and defeated. But is that, is that who you are? Defeated? Is that, is that your identity? Or is that just how people in life have made you feel? Because contrary to what some people think, how you feel does not determine your identity. How you feel does not determine. So, so what does then, right? Then how do we know? What, how do we know what the real truth is about who we are? And we have one absolutely perfect 100% way. And it's not by checking our one loss record. It's not by, by checking with our parents. And it's not by checking Instagram. And it's not by looking at our past results. And it's not by our feelings. And we can find out who we really are by checking with the one that knows. Right? We can find out who we really are by checking with our creators, by looking at his word. Because who you really are is not who your parents said you are. It's not who your teachers or your bosses or your spouse or social media or your experiences say you are. Who you really are is who God says you are. And in his word, he says, as Christians, we're not defeated. In fact, Romans 8.37 says, even if we have trouble, even if we have calamity or persecution or hunger, or if we're, if we're destitute, if we're threatened by death, we're not defeated. It says we are more than conquerors. We're the opposite of defeated. We are more than conquerors. I love the New Living Translation on this. It says overwhelming victory is ours. In the end, we who are in Christ are not defeated. We are overcomers. So to help us see that today, we're gonna to look at a story in the Bible of a guy named Gideon. You've probably heard of him. He's the one that puts the Bibles in the hotel rooms now. So he's a cool guy. Uh, he, was so, he was so beaten down that he just accepted this, this label of, yeah, I'm, I'm defeated. Now that's who I am. But what he found out um, was that who he really was was who God said he was. And God said he was an overcomer. So if you feel a little defeated, this is the reason we look at these stories, right? If you feel a little defeated, um, as we're looking at his story, 
And we're looking at the enemy that was oppressing him and holding him down and making him accept this label of being defeated. I'll ask you to think of like your enemy, right? The, the, the words or whatever, the addiction or the failure or the abuse or the rejection that has beaten you down to the point that maybe you're starting to see yourself that way. You're starting to accept this mislabel of defeated. And let's just see if we can see your story in Gideon's story. So this is a real long, it's like three chapters. How many of you have lunch plans today? Couples, I'll go. Here's what I'll do, um, I'll, we'll vote. Okay, we vote on everything here, we're democratic here. Um, here's your two options. One, I can read three whole chapters of the Bible to you, which gets us out of here no later than like three or four o'clock, right? Or I can kind of skip through and paraphrase. How many vote for a three or four o'clock? Thank you, brother. <laughs> How many vote for skipping through in a paraphrase? Okay, that's almost unanimous. Stick around after church and you and me'll, okay. Um, so I'll just kind of shoot through, but I would encourage you, listen, don't take my word for it. You got a Bible, right? Go home and read. It's Judges chapter six, seven, and eight. You'll read the whole story of Gideon. Here's the abridged version. Um, chapter six, verse one starts out telling us that the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. So he had given them these commandments. He told them how to live among the Midianites, surrounded by the Midianites, but not to act like the Midianites, right? But instead they started worshiping Midianite gods and they started doing the things that the Midianites did. And basically after a time, God said, that's what you want? That's what you want? Uh, then, then, then you got it. So the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. So the Lord handed them over to the Midianites for seven years. And the Midianites were so cruel that the Israelites had to make hiding places for themselves in the mountains and the caves. And whenever the Israelites planted their crops, Midian marauders would attack Israel, camping in the land and destroying the crops. And they left the Israelites with nothing to eat, taking all the sheep and goats and cattle and donkeys. And these enemy hordes coming in with their livestock and tents were as thick as locusts. And they arrived in, on droves of camels, too numerous to count, and they stayed until the land was stripped bare. So Israel, Israel was reduced to starvation by the Midianites. So get the picture there, right? These, the Midianites are overwhelming, they're powerful, they're cruel, they are an unbeatable enemy. And after seven years of this humiliation and pain and hopelessness and defeat, the Israelites cried out to the Lord for help. So they were like, they were probably like a lot of us, right? They felt like they were outmatched by their enemy. They felt overwhelmed and helpless and hopeless and defeated. Verse 11 says, then the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath a big tree where Gideon was threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press to hide the grain that he was working on from the Midianites. And the angels, verse 12, the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, mighty hero, the Lord is with you. And Gideon replied, dude, you got the wrong Jew. So that's, that's the, para, I thought it was a paraphrase. It's not word for word. But that, that, that's kind of what he said, right? He's like, I'm not a mighty hero, right? I'm, I'm weak. I'm nothing. And plus, he's, if the Lord is with us, then why has all this happened to us? And where's all the miracles that our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord brought us up out of Egypt? But now, the Lord has abandoned us and he's handed us over to the Midianites. And 
I don't know, maybe, maybe you felt overwhelmed at some point by something or someone and you've, and you've like called out to God but then you wonder, I don't know, maybe I don't have enough faith. You know, maybe I don't have enough faith. Can I give you some encouragement? Gideon didn't have enough faith. Gideon, he, he, he had given up. He had given up on overcoming the enemy. He had given up on God. He said, God has abandoned us. Verse 14, then the Lord said to him, go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I'm sending you. But Lord, Gideon replied, how can I rescue Israel? My family is the weakest family in the weakest tribe in Israel, and I'm the weakest one in my family. And the Lord said to him, I will be with you, and you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. Verse 33, about that time, the armies of Midian crossed the Jordan, camping in the valley of Jezreel, Verse 34, you should remember this one. Then the spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon with power. That's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. The spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon with power. It's still Gideon. It's still him. But he used to be clothed with failure. And he used to be clothed with fear. And he used to be clothed with defeat. But this says now... The spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon with power. Verse 36, this is the famous part everybody knows. Then Gideon said to God, okay, if if you're gonna use me to rescue Israel, show me, right? Show it to me in a way, here's what he's gonna do. I'll put a wool fleece on the ground and then tomorrow morning when I get up, if the fleece is wet from dew, but the grass around it is dry, then I'll know. That it's, that it's God talking to me right now. And so he gets up the next morning, fleece is wet, ground is dry. So Gideon says, okay, oh, wait. <laughs> hey, just wait, just wait, just hang on. How about this, just to be sure, just to be sure, one more day, right? Tomorrow morning, if I wake up and this time the fleece is dry and the ground around it is wet, now, then I'll know that it's really you. And so you know what happened, right? He gets up the next morning, fleece is dry, ground is wet. And it's like, okay, well now he knew that it was God calling him. Okay, so chapter seven, verse one. That was a whole chapter. So Gideon and his army, it's 32,000 men, got up early and went as far as the spring of Herod. And the armies of Midian were camped north of them in a valley. And the Lord said to Gideon, you know what? You got too many warriors with you. Because if I let all of you fight the Midianites, the Israelites will boast that they saved themselves by their own strength. So tell the people, whoever is timid or afraid may leave this mountain and go home. And Gideon said, wait, what? (laughs) So, (laughs) I mean, I've seen some war movies. I haven't seen this one. Wait, like, um, what is the Mel Gibson movie where he paints his face and all that? Braveheart, remember when he's got all the people all lined up and he's getting them all riled up. Gideon gets all of his guys, 32,000 people lined up and he says, if anybody's scared, you can go home now, right? And so he's thinking, please don't go, please don't go, please don't go, please don't go. But 22,000 of them went home. And so now he's down to 10,000 that are willing to fight. And so Gideon's like, that is not how I saw this going, you know, Like, like God, what are we gonna do now? What are we gonna do now? I'm, 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 you sent two thirds of my army home 
and the Midianites, it says, are too many to count. But the Lord told Gideon, actually, there are still too many of you. And he finally whittles them down to 300 soldiers. And the Lord says to Gideon, with these 300 men, I will rescue you and give you victory over this huge Midianite army. So send everybody else home. So he does. He sends 9,700 of them home. And now he's got 300 left. Chapter 7, verse 12. The armies of Midian had settled in the valley like a swarm of locusts. Their camels were like grains of sand on the seashore, too many to count. So the Midianite army is like tens of thousands of people. And Gideon's army has gone from 32,000 to 10,000 to 300. So the odds against them are impossible. Okay, verse 16. Gideon divided the 300 men into three groups, and he gave each man a ram's horn and a clay jar with a torch in it. And then he said to him, keep your eyes on me, and when I come to the edge of the camp, do just as I do. And as I blow the ram's horn, blow yours too, and all around the camp, and shout, for the Lord and for Gideon. So it was just about midnight when Gideon and the hundred men with him reached the edge of the Midianite camp, and suddenly, he's got his hundred guys, right? And then there's two other companies or whatever of a hundred. And so suddenly he blows his ram's horn and they break their clay jar. So now you can see the flames, right? Then all the three groups blew their horns and broke their jars and they held the blazing torches in their left hands and the horns in their right hands and they all shouted, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. They didn't even have swords, right? They had a ram's horn and a torch in their hands. And then verse 21, each man just stood his position around camp and watched as all the Midianites rushed around in a panic shouting as they tried to escape. And the Lord caused the Midianite warriors to fight with each other. And then, what? Gideon's men chased him down. And a bunch of heads got chopped off. And, and Gideon goes down in history as the greatest judge in the history of Israel. And God empowered a weak, defeated leader with a handful of soldiers and no weapons to defeat a huge army of thousands and overcome an enemy that had them completely outmatched. And they all lived happily ever after. Except they didn't all live happily ever after because several years later, after Gideon was gone, then Israel went right back to worshiping idols and doing all the stuff that made God let the Midianites overtake them in the first place. So, like so many Bible stories, it's a really amazing story with kind of a weird ending. Um, it's a story of somebody who had accepted this mislabel, that he was defeated, only to find out that God said, no, 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 you're not defeated. You're an overcomer. So let's look at three quick takeaways from this story. Here's the first one. God does intervene to supernaturally help us overcome in this world to fulfill our God-given purposes. That's the longest point in the history of sermons right there. Here it is again. God does intervene to supernaturally help us overcome in this world to fulfill our God-given purposes. 
That didn't just happen in somebody's imagination. That's not just a story. It happened in the real world. God saw their enemy defeating them. God saw their enemy oppressing them, and he heard them cry out for help, and he supernaturally intervened to help them become overcomers. And God sees your enemies too. And he cares about the abuse that you've had, and he cares about the addiction that's been oppressing you, and he he cares about the habits that you can't break, and the arguing at your house, and the rejection that you've been through, and the financial struggles, and your enemies attacking you, and holding you back, and keeping you down, and ruining your life. God sees all the things that keep you feeling defeated. Here's my question for you. Is God less able to turn your defeat into victory now than he was theirs then? Seems like a trick question, huh? Is God less able to turn your defeat into victory now than he was theirs then? No, he's not. But I mean, a lot of people didn't just yell out, no, because I think a lot of us are saying, yeah, but my circumstances are really hard. You know, I'm dealing with a lot of really hard things. But I wanna remind you of Romans 8, 28. It says that God causes all things, everything, even hard things to work for our good. He causes all things to work together for our good, even bad things. And it's like, well, how, show me that. It's right there in that story, right? So here's tens of thousands of soldiers, bad, bad guys with swords and knives and spears and horses. These are, all of these guys, these are all bad things that are coming against Israel, right? And what did God cause to happen? He worked it together so that all of those things worked for the good. They all killed each other, right? They all worked together for the good of who? For those that love him, that's us, and that are called according to his purposes for them. So one caveat, um, some people, I think, would hear this or read this and say, well, that's really cool because my purpose is to become a millionaire, CEO, supermodel, professional golfer with an amazing house and a 26-inch waist and a new Mercedes. And nothing is impossible for him, you know. He's working everything for my good, so praise Jesus. I'm an overcomer. I can smell the leather in that car now. And God is gonna supernaturally help me fulfill my purpose of being super pretty and super popular and stinky rich, right? Um, But I think it's really important. (laughs) Let's, you know, let's, let's keep this in the middle, right? Let's keep this in the middle. I think we have to see that God intervened so that Gideon could fulfill his God-given purpose. And being a stinky rich supermodel is not your purpose. It's not your purpose. Um, We talked about this last week. Ephesians 2.7 tells us our purpose is to reflect his grace and kindness to the world. That's your purpose to reflect God's grace and kindness to the world. Jesus said his purpose was to give us rich, satisfying, abundant life, not necessarily as a rich, thin, Mercedes-driving supermodel. So, okay, well, let's, let's do some case studies, okay? So let's say you're struggling with an addiction, um, alcohol, meth, porn, and it's destroying your family. 
do you think it's God's purpose for you to beat that addiction? Here's the test. Would it reflect his grace and kindness to the world? Okay, so that is your purpose, so that's great, because God does intervene to supernaturally help us to overcome in this world. Nothing is impossible for him, and you are not defeated. It's a mislabel. Through Christ, you are an overcomer. Okay, case study number two. Let's say you're getting your butt kicked by sin and temptation, okay? And it's coming between you and God. And you feel ashamed, and you feel less than, and you feel unworthy, and so now you've kind of got, you don't even pray anymore because you've done all these terrible things, and he's probably mad at you, and you can't get over that. Do you think it's God's purpose for you to overcome that sin so that you can be connected to him? Do you think that's God's purpose for you? I mean, would that, let's check, would that reflect his grace and kindness to the world? Yeah, it would, so great news. God does intervene to supernaturally help us overcome in this world. Nothing is impossible for him. You are not defeated, that's a mislabel. Through Christ, you are an overcomer. See how this works? You wanna do one more case study? I mean, I got no place to be, do you wanna do it or not? Okay, let's do it. Okay, so let's say, let's say your marriage is falling apart and your family is falling apart because you've been a bad mom or you've been a bad dad or you've been a bad spouse. Do you think it's part of God's purpose for you to overcome your past, to stop losing, and repair your marriage and your family? Do you think that's part of God's purpose for your life? Well, let's us find out. Would that reflect his grace and kindness to the world? Okay, well then, great news. God does intervene to supernaturally help us overcome in this world. Nothing is impossible for him. You are not defeated. That's a mislabel. In Christ, who you are is you're an overcomer. So I could do these case studies all day long, but you see how that works, right? We're just gonna, that, that's the litmus test. Does it reflect his grace and kindness to the world? If so, that is your purpose. And if so, God does supernaturally intervene to help us overcome, not just someday in heaven, in this world. So I think Gideon's, the fleece thing, that looks kind of bad, right, that he did that. It looks kind of like he didn't have enough faith or something, um, but I'll tell you what it did do. It, it was a litmus test for him, right? It, it really did make him sure that he was hearing from God, that this thing was God's purpose for him. So, like, if you're up against an enemy that's making you feel defeated, how do you know if it's God's purpose for you to overcome that current enemy? How do you know? Do you, is it the fleece thing? Are we all gonna run and buy the sheepskin seat covers and put them out in the yard at night? How, how do we know? We, we just check God's word, right? We see what his purpose is. His purpose is to reflect his grace and kindness to the world. So if he's calling you to do something like that and some enemy is coming against you and saying that you're defeated, then if, I mean, if any enemy of any size, addiction, abuse, failure, betrayal, sin has got you feeling like you're defeated, good news, you're not defeated. You're an overcomer. You are more than a conqueror. And you need to remember, and I need to remember what Gideon was told, and that is just go with the strength you have. God is with you. And so I think, obvious question, what if I don't have any strength, right? What if, yeah, go with the strength you have. What if I don't have any strength? What if I'm weak, right? What if I've got a bad track record of losing? 
What if I come from a family with a bad track? What if I don't have enough faith? What if I'm having trouble even seeing God in all of this defeat around me? Um, Then you are exactly like Gideon. You're a perfect candidate for a miracle. God loves impossible stuff. He seems to prefer impossible stuff. Why else would he send home 31,000 soldiers? Right? He, it's like you're, he prefers impossible. You're not, you're not defeated. You're an overcomer. And I think a lot of people would say, yeah, but I don't feel like an overcomer. Right? I, I feel like a loser. I feel defeated. And if that's you, can I give you um, some good news? This sounds kind of mean. You ready? It's not really about you. It's, it's, not, it's not really about you. Not if you're facing something so big that it seems impossible. It's not about you. If your enemies are like locusts, it's a too many to count, like the grains of sand on the beach. I mean, what does, that, what does that mean? What is all that saying? It's saying that Gideon was facing impossible odds. It gave us three examples, right? Locust, sand, it, it's, it's giving this over and over. It's just trying to show us that he was up against something that was totally impossible. He was completely overmatched. And if you feel completely overmatched by failure or by sin or by an addiction, oh, I'm not strong enough, oh, I'm not smart enough, oh, I'm not good enough, it's not about your strengths. And it's not about your smarts. And it's not about your goodness. It's about Christ in you. And he is strong enough, and he is smart enough, and he is good enough to overcome whatever you're up against through you by the power of his spirit in you. So let's think, let's use our heads here. Like, what what do you think? Do you think Gideon was so smart that he just thought of that plan with with the torches and the rams and the yelling? Do you think he would just smart Or do you think that was God leading him and giving him wisdom? Yeah, for sure, right? Um, Let me ask you this. Do you think Gideon was scared of his shadow for seven years and then just suddenly decided that he was going to be brave and strong? And he's, oh, yeah, I think I'm just going to change now. No, it says the Holy Spirit clothed him with power. The story is not about how smart and brave and good and strong and faithful Gideon is. If anything, he had too little faith, right? The whole time he's arguing. Can you imagine God telling you to do something and you're arguing with him? Oh, I think, I think you're gonna make a mistake here. That's what he did the whole time. He's trying to back out the whole story. I think God intentionally chose somebody to work through that wasn't smart and that wasn't brave or faithful or good or strong because then we could see how smart and faithful and good and strong God was in Gideon, kind of in spite of Gideon. This battle wasn't about Gideon. In fact, his weakness was really like just a perfect chance to showcase the brilliance and and power and faithfulness of God. And and your, your battle you overcoming your whatever, your past or your failure or your addiction, it's not about you. It's about showcasing the brilliance and faithfulness and power of God. The question isn't, is your enemy bigger than you? 
The question is, is your enemy bigger than God? And if you think you're overmatched, good. Right? If you think you're underqualified, good. If you think your situation and your battle is impossible, good. That's just gonna make for a better story, right? When God overcomes in you and through you, nothing is impossible with him. And he's in you. And as long as he's in you, you're not defeated. You're an overcomer. Here's the third takeaway. Gideon's story is a metaphor. Gideon's story is a metaphor. It's a picture, right? It's an illustration. It's a, it's a, it's a, a picture of a much bigger truth. And what's amazing about the Bible and weird is it's also an actual, factual, historical event. Isn't that amazing? It's a metaphor. Yeah, it's a metaphor. And it actually really happened. God's people were being oppressed and crushed and killed by an unbeatable enemy in the real world. And they were living in fear and they were being defeated. And they were being held back from God's purpose in their life. But God raised up and empowered a human, right? He empowered a human to bring deliverance and victory and healing and life and to overcome their enemy. So follow me on this. It was like, it was like a partnership between God's spirit and humanity. See that? It's like a partnership. It was God's spirit in a human being that brought this deliverance, that brought this power and that did these amazing things. God and his spirit in Gideon overcame this unbeatable enemy. God made a choice, right? He could have just wiped them all out, could have just wiped them all out, but instead he chose to bring that deliverance, he chose to bring that healing, he chose to bring that victory, he chose to bring that life through a human, okay? But it's not just a great historical story, it's a metaphor for our stories, right? Because we feel overmatched sometimes, just like Gideon was overmatched. But if we can see our story in his story, some cool stuff happens. Um, one, we can see what he did right and what he did wrong and learn from it. Um, but you know what's way better than just seeing Gideon's story in our story? It's seeing Gideon's God in our story. Because when we see God's power to protect and save, when we see how God empowers Gideon to overcome his unbeatable enemies, that reminds us that God can empower us to overcome our unbeatable enemies that oppress and crush and kill us. We, we, were, we were just like them, we were defeated um, by the, the powers that are against us. But God gave us humans Right? God gave us the power of his spirit and the power of his word so that just like Gideon, just like Paul, we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. And again, it's almost this, like a partnership right, between God's spirit and humanity. So God in us can overcome our unbeatable enemies through us. And so we can live in confidence and freedom and peace and joy knowing that nothing is impossible for God, and since God lives in us, nothing is impossible for us. Amen, does that make sense? It's this weird like partnership of the Spirit of God with humanity. But wait, there's more. And this is the best part. Listen, Gideon's story of 
overcoming oppression by the power of God 3,000 years ago in his world is a metaphor for us overcoming oppression by the power of God today in our world. But both of them are metaphors for an even bigger story and an even more amazing, eternally important truth about overcoming oppression in God's kingdom forever. Because all of us, all of us, Gideon and you and me, all of us are oppressed by a seemingly unbeatable enemy, right? A much bigger, deadlier, uglier enemy, more powerful enemy than the Midianites. A much uglier, bigger, more powerful enemy than addiction or abuse or rejection or betrayal or disease. We are, we are overmatched by the enemy of sin and Satan and temptation and death. And they've been defeating mankind since the garden. And they oppress us and bully us and lead to death, right? Eternal death, separation from God forever. But God won't be defeated. And he won't stand by and watch us forever defeated by sin and Satan and temptation and death. So watch this. Again, he brings about this partnership between his spirit and humanity. And he sends Jesus, the God-man, right? The son of man and the son of God. And through this partnership between the spirit of God and humanity, through Jesus, God brings deliverance and victory from the oppression of sin. And he brings protection from eternal death. And he brings us an eternally, perfectly rich, satisfying, abundant life of joy and purpose and peace. You see that? Jesus is the man that Gideon couldn't be. Because Gideon's salvation was cool, but it just lasted till he died. Right? And then the Israelites went right back to being defeated by their own sin and by their earthly enemies. But Jesus is not just a man being helped by the Spirit of God. He's not like us, just a man that's got the Spirit in us. Jesus is the human embodiment of the Spirit of God. Jesus is the partnership between God and man. He's 100% man and 100% God. So his salvation is not just from earthly enemies. And his salvation is not just to like temporarily protect or temporarily improve this life. He's come to save us from our real eternal enemies, sin, Satan, temptation, and death. He wants to give us eternal life. He wants to take away our sin. He wants to ultimately even take away our craving for it. He wants to make us new, powerful overcomers, not just temporarily, not just over the stuff in this world, eternally. And I would just say that if you have not accepted that salvation so that you know that you have overcome sin and death forever, not just now, 
not just habits that are bugging you, not just relationships that are jacked up, if you have not really fully eternally overcome sin and death, we should fix that today. We should fix that today. We should fix that today. So here's what we're gonna do. I'll make you a special offer. It's a one-time only offer. Okay, here's what it is. Um, I'm gonna pray and we'll just dismiss. And then if you're somebody that is saying, you know what? I'm not sure that I've done that. I'm not sure that I have overcome sin and death and temptation and Satan. I need some more information. Here's what I'll do. After I pray, I'll dismiss. Everybody will leave. I'll hang around right here. Come talk to me and we'll figure it out today. You can leave today knowing for sure that you've overcome sin. You've overcome Satan. You've overcome temptation. You've overcome death. It cannot keep you from God anymore. So let's pray. We'll dismiss. Anybody that wants to talk to me, I would love, love, love to talk to you. I'll be right down here, okay? All right, let's pray. Father, we have powerful enemies coming against us. Addictions and abuse and bad stuff from our past and sin that we can't stop doing and voices of other people. And all this stuff is coming against us and it's, it's making us feel defeated. But God, will you please just remind us through your word and through this story of Gideon that we are not defeated. We're overcomers and we're who you say we are. And you say that we're more than conquerors. You say overwhelming victory is ours. And so God, just, man, if you'll just remind us of that thing. And God, I just pray for everybody here that's going through one of these battles. They're struggling. They're up against this thing. They're feeling defeated. Will you just do what you do? Will you supernaturally intervene and help us to overcome? Whatever that means in whatever battles we're in, will you supernaturally intervene to help us overcome in this life? And will you just remind us when it's hard? It's not about us. Our, our, our success is not based on how good we are, it's based on how good you are. So just remind us that our faith isn't in us or our willpower or strength or our goodness, it's 100% in you. And God, I just pray that you'll speak to anybody here that really hasn't overcome the big enemy and just empower them and encourage them to make today the day of their salvation, that today would be the day that they call on you. And Lord, we just lift all this up to you in Jesus' name, amen. And amen, that's it, you're dismissed. Volunteers, I will see you at six o'clock tonight. Wear your scooting boots.